Now, last week I began a series with the finale. You guys don't laugh or anything. I drive the longest. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> I, I, I preached the finale because in this promise series, uh, built it, the greatest promise is Jesus. And I thought, when's the fulfillment of the greatest promise? Christmas. So that's why I preached it around Christmas. So you already have the end. Now we're going to build. You have the roof. Now we build the house underneath it. All right? Why God makes promises. Promises. And, and when I ask questions this morning, it's okay. You're not going to throw me off. And if I get off track, Jill's here today. Um, so we'll be a lot better. Uh, why are promises important? Why are promises important? There's no wrong answer here. There's not a fill-in, so you can just hope. hope. Okay, they give hope. What? What are? What? Another reason promises. I build trust, hope, trust. Something to look forward to. Absolutely. Another, why are promises, I made one to her 38 years ago in a few days, November the 8th, 1981, 416 North Washington Street, Sonora, California. We got married during church on Sunday, it was easy to remember. I always showed up that day anyway, because I was a pastor, so it's pretty easy to get married they go past, promises can go past your feelings. Yeah, we've been in love a couple of times in that 38 years. <laughs> no, she would, she'd get, go ahead. Commitment. Promises are a commitment. We made promises. It wasn't on how we felt. That day we felt pretty good. We've had some days we haven't felt so good, but we had a commitment, so we've stayed together. The commitment, that promise, was carried us through the seasons when we didn't feel like being carried. Anyone else? Okay, keeps you in line with God's word. What are, when, when you receive a promise, are you given, what are the benefits or values of a promise that is kept. What does it do? Builds your faith, Build your faith absolutely. Makes you feel, valuable. feel valuable or it adds worth, if I can throw that in, sure. All right. Trust, dependability. Reliance, whatever terms you want to use for those, sure. Something else. Some of you are thinking, he must have very little content this morning because he's begging us for it. I don't know how exactly how to explain it, but it validates what comes no, I, I get it. it. It affirms, you know, you, you, when God gives you a promise and he carries it out and you think, okay, I put faith in that promise. The next time I get a promise, it'll be maybe a little easier for me to trust to do it. Yeah. It's got our back. yeah. 
okay. Forgive me for a minute, I forgot to change the iPad setting to stay on longer than 30 seconds. I'm only 63 and I'm finally learning how to do this stuff, right? How many enjoyed my iPad last week when I started with a series of questions? And Siri said, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I don't know how many of you heard that, but it just, it kind of threw me off for me. I was like, well, if you don't know that, who am I? Um, yeah. Okay, that, that's the positive side. Go ahead, I think, scroll. I think I have one more question on the next slide. What are the impacts or outcomes of a broken promise? Devastation? Fear? Uncertainty? Doubt? Bitterness? Anger? Okay, all the opposites of the things we just had. Yeah, you could put the, look up antonyms of the previous answers, yes, right? Okay, now I, I could ask how many of you have made a promise and kept it and everybody would want to raise their hand and then I could say how many of you have made a promise and haven't. I don't, don't, you don't do that, we don't. <laughs> I'm closing my eyes. I'll raise mine for you. So, sometimes I've made promises with good intent and the older I get, the filter of remembrance is less and more stuff runs through the river and less stuff gets caught up on the shore. <laughs> you promised three weeks ago. I did? Okay. Sure. Broken promises devastate us. So we're talking this morning about why God makes promises. So I have some real quick answers for you. Number one, because promises lead us in the right direction. Promises lead us in the right direction. Go ahead and click. I think it'll, the rest of the answer might come up. Promise lead us in the right direction. You know, in fact, according to the Bible, the promises of God lead us to eternal life. Did you know that? It's a verse that many of you have maybe heard a couple of times in church. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's... You can talk to people that have never been in church. That's a verse they know. John 3.16, I threw you a curve. I just used a different version. So you have to think about, what verse is he doing? Yes, King James. Yes. Thou art right. That was funny right there. You see, it says, God loved the world. God gave his son to the world. Why that? So through belief or trust in a promise, what would you have? Eternal life. What is eternal life? Is some, I, I can remember as a kid, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid for those of you that aren't aware of that. Um, I grew up in a four square church. Put your hand on your heart. Think of Amy. Um, and the idea of eternal or everlasting life did not sound very exciting to me. I, I didn't want to go to hell, but I wasn't in a hurry to get to heaven because I wasn't into harps, I wasn't into choirs, and I wasn't into 
hymns, first, second, and fourth stanza. <laughs> oh, you can tell people that grew up in church, you don't know what I'm just saying, but we used to sing hymns that had verses or stanzas. That, you change verse to stanza, it's religious. And we, somehow the poor third verse was unspiritual because we skipped it all the time. Right? And the thought of going somewhere where the rest of my existence would be... Oh, it's like... Ugh. But when I came to understand what eternal life meant, that in heaven, that God was going to enable me to fulfill everything of my divine potential without limitation, suddenly getting there sounded pretty exciting. I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't catch it. That heaven is a place that I get to fulfill my divine design, how God made me, without limitation. I can fulfill my purpose. Have you ever been frustrated in something you want to do? Boy, I wish I could do that. But life gets in the way of you doing that. Or circumstances get in the way of you doing that. Yeah, anybody this morning? You know, and all that stuff happens. You think, why did God put that in me if I can't seem to see it fulfilled? Well, you may see it fulfilled here on earth. It's his intent that, that all of your purpose in your, your, your life would be carried out. But I have good news. What you don't get done here, you get to do. Just think about it. All the creativity, all of the, the thoughts, the idea, those things... To just think, wow, I get to do that. I get to be who I was designed to be without limitation. Wow, now eternal life sounds pretty exciting. I'll sign up for that. The only thing that scares me is a little step from here to there. Right? But the good thing, and I've shared this with you before, is my last breath here is my first breath there. My last thought here is my first thought there. My last step here is my first step there. That's not so bad. Thank you. Thank you. God's promise directs us in the right direction towards eternal life. It also redirects our focus towards heaven. 2 Peter 3.13 But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. How many would be thrilled to be in a universe that is covered with God's righteousness. Doesn't that sound exciting? Just, I'd love God's righteousness on the roads. You know, I, I get to work. I work in downtown Sacramento, so does Jill. She's much better saint than me. We all know that. I park the car and have to repent for the things I thought and said. Don't look at me like that, because you're this, you know, you know what I'm saying. I have something to look forward to. My focus is on heaven, to be in the presence of God where his righteousness rules and reigns, not as a series of rules, but as a liberating government that lets me be everything that God intended me to be. First Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through, tell, 10 through 12 says, at what time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. 
My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourselves from the evil desires that wage war within you. Live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, even though they accuse you of being evildoers, for they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God. I read that in the Passion Translation, and I did it intentionally because everybody knows this verse. But notice what it calls us here. We're resident aliens and foreigners. It sounds like two TV shows. Fox, new series starting next Sunday. Resident aliens, followed by foreigners. That's how we're to view our time here. Number two, why does God make promises? Because promises reveal God's nature. They reveal God's nature. Now, I didn't say reveal God in nature. Are are you hearing me this morning? They reveal his nature. How many think you know a little bit about me in 10 weeks? How many think that you could say, our pastor has a dry sense of humor? Yeah, it's not rocket science to figure that out, right? How did you figure it out? Because I'm always cracking one-liners, usually right when something's really intense and you kind of feel like, man, he was hard on us. Oh, but he was joking. Oh, oh okay, what, okay, what do I do with that? God's promises reveal his nature, who he is, what he's like. The things he promises are the things he values. So when he makes promises to you, guess what he's saying? I value you and I value this thing, whatever it is, in you. Do you know the scripture teaches us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that his nature in us will transform us? Did you know that? In your notes, I put it down this way. God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. Then we could escape our evil desires and the corrupt influences of this world. If I can read it in a different version, I'll read it slowly because something in this building makes it difficult for me to breathe. The Passion Translation says this. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price. Now listen to this phrase. So that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with his divine nature. Now I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to just tell you. I've had things in my life and you maybe have had things in your life that have been challenges that you've fought, that you say, I wish I wouldn't think this way, or I wish I wouldn't act this way, or I wish I wouldn't respond this way, I just wish I wouldn't be this way. And no matter what you do, and you can make promises like I've made, I, I grew up where we went to church on Sunday night, you know, and Sunday morning, and Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon. Oh, anyway, I had a drug problem, drug to church. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> Every Sunday night for years, I'd go up to the altar. We were, the altar, we had a bench up front. And we'd go up there and kneel, oh, God, forget, I'll never do it again. And I don't know how many times I said, I'll never do it again, and I did it again. No later than Tuesday noon. You know why? Because I couldn't change my nature. 
But when I had an encounter with the nature of Christ and experienced the, the reality and the power of his promise working in me, guess what that did? It changed the desire. It changed the nature. And so now I didn't have to, oh, try to think righteous because you became righteous. Colossians 3.10 says, You have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. Another thing we recognize about promises revealing his nature is he is, by his very nature, a promise keeper. As a pastor... We do some interesting things. Jill and I, over the years, obviously have spoken in a lot of churches. But one of the hardest things is when a phone call comes or someone shows up at our door or comes in the office and says, my spouse left. And I don't know what to do. That's devastating news. Because if you think when that relationship was really cemented, it was cemented somewhere in front of some people where a promise was made. And while the intent probably at the time was both people made the promise, one is left standing holding on to a promise unkept. That can be devastating. I am grateful that God, by his nature, is a promise keeper. I have a colleague that works with me that's had a challenge relationally and has made the comment, maybe I'm just not made for that. Maybe I'm not made to be loved. What a horrible thought. What a horrible thought because a promise was broken, it led to that feeling, I'm not lovable. What that really says is, I don't have worth. And so guess what I say? Yes, you do. Because your worth is not determined by that person who didn't keep a promise. Your worth is determined by the one who values you more than you'll ever understand. And he's a promise keeper. Did you hear me? He's a promise keeper by his nature. Hebrews 10. So let us do it full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let us keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. Listen to this phrase. He always keeps his word. Psalms 145 says, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, your rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promise. He is gracious in all that he does. Do you realize, if we were to view our relationship with God like a wedding, he stood there and said, I'm committed to you. And I've said, I'm committed to you. And I haven't always been committed, but he has always been committed. Number three, promises demonstrate God's faithfulness. Promises demonstrate God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to deliver his people. Isaiah 49, kings and queens will serve you and care for all your needs. They will bow to the earth before you and lick the dust from your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. 
Those who trust in me will never be put to shame. Joe and I have been in interesting seasons in our life. We've been in seasons where we wondered, how are we going to make it next week? hasn't been that many years ago that it was our future was kind of up in the air and I was invited to speak at a sister church up the road that we had served in the same capacity we're serving you and a new pastor had come they that person had been there eight or ten years Mark come up and speak the people would love to see you sure we went and and I went and can I can I just tell this story and it's it's going to sound like it's about money but it's not but at the time, I wasn't working, and Jill worked for the state. And if you know anything about the state, you get paid once a month. And guess what Sunday it was? The Sunday after once a month. So in my pocket was a tithe check. And I'm sitting on the front row. And attendance was down that Sunday. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what I thought. They're going to invite me the first of every month. <laughs> I'm just, is this so, please, promise me you'll come back again and not let this story be. I'm never coming back if you told that story. I, okay. Here's what I thought. Because Jill and I also operate a nonprofit 501c3. And I had been wrestling with the Lord, and I'd wrestled with Jill on the way up. Do you think we could tie this month to our ministry? No, that ministry operates on how other people support it. We support the local church. You've been preaching that your whole life. We're going to be in a local church today. Put the tie. Okay, fine. She was right. I agree. She's not a bad person. She just keeps me straight. And so I was sitting right there, actually. And here it comes, and I'm thinking, I'm going to put this check in. And when I put this check in, later on they're going to say, isn't it great to have Pastor Mark and Jill here? Let's take a love offering. And it would be a like offering. <laughs> if you don't know what that is. You know, it's usually whatever, so it's 37 cents and whatever. Um, and I thought, this is a deal for them. Because our tithe, which we could really use this month, think about what I was saying. I'm going to steal from God to take care of me. You know what? Anyway, here's what make a long story short. As soon as the offering's done, Mark's going to come and preach. Well, I better be obedient or it's not going to go well. So I put the check in the offering. I got up, got over, and spoke. Pastor and staff took us to lunch. We ate lunch. We're walking out to the car. The associate pastor walked up and says, Wish this could be more, to which I, inside, said, me too. I put it in my pocket. When I saw her, I gave it to her. Halfway home, which was in this city, we stopped at Starbucks. And uh, we had taken some friends with us, and they walked over, and the husband said to me, Pastor, we know this is a tough season for you, and my wife and I were praying, and the Lord said, we should give you this. 
I wanted to tear it open. I, I really did, but I gave it to her. And then we got home, and, and, and I don't check the mail very often, but we ought to because it's probably to the point the mail person is shaking their fist at 10969 Woolwich Way. And guess what was in there? An envelope. Somebody was thinking of you. Here's for your ministry. Gave it to her. We opened them all up. It was every penny we gave that day plus 10%. Now, that was a sign to me when God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When he made the promise, which he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. And we didn't know how long that season was going to be. And it was about, what, three or four years was that season. All I knew is that when we were faithful to him, his promises were fulfilled to us. And while, and that was, the economic crash was full-blown and people were losing houses. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, we lost $75,000 a year in income. And we didn't lose a thing. In fact, we came out of it with two homes. Now, that's not a brag on Mark. That's a brag on God. And it's a brag on God because I am so grateful that he made a promise to us that he'd take care of us and he'd provide for us. And as long as we were faithful in what we should do, he was faithful to deliver us, and he has been. Zechariah 4 says, Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven, heaven's armies has sent me. You see, God is faithful to complete his projects. Why is that important? Because I'm one of his projects. If you know the background of that story, Israel had been overrun. Jerusalem had been overrun. The temple had been destroyed. And a guy with a name that sounds like you got a bunch of marbles in your mouth, Zerubbabel, and Ezra were sent back in the midst of the rubble. So if you imagine, here's a city all destroyed around him, and in the middle of that city, there to rebuild the temple because God told them to. And around them is a reminder of their unfaithfulness and uh, of their disobedience. Broken walls and all the burnt gates, it's all there. And guess what the people that live in that area are saying? Do you think the two of you are going to lead that little band to rebuild that temple? Ha, ha, ha. That's the background of that story. And God says, yeah, they may be laughing, they may be mocking, they may be making fun of you, but here's what I promise you, is the guy that started it, Zerubbabel, go home and say it three times to your significant other, that'll be fun. <laughs> the guy that started it will finish it. God is faithful to complete what he promises. He's also faithful to fulfill his word. In John chapter 2, 19 to 22, it says, Destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it up. What's he talking about? You're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again. That was a promise kept. That was a promise kept. I don't think I put this verse in your notes, but it's in mine. Hebrews 6, 17 says, God bound himself with an oath 
so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. God is faithful to provide for his people in Luke chapter 6. I think I skipped a verse, so hopefully you caught up with me on the media. In Luke chapter 6, do not judge others, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, you'll be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured out into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Sounds like I'm talking about money. I am in sort of a way, but I'm also talking about a principle that God is faithful to his promises. When he asks you to do something, he says, forgive, I'll forgive you. Don't judge, I won't judge you. I'm a giver. I gave my son. You be a giver. I want you to be like me. And when you think you're letting go, I'll pour back in so that you can bless others. How many heard Pastor Robert Morris this morning? Good, then they use his material. Uh, <laughs> he was talking about a, a season in his ministry where um, he had a nonprofit ministry set up, and people came to him and said, We know you give away cars. Here, we have a car we want to give you. And we'd really like it to go to this family, but we know we can't designate. You can make the determination. But anyway, so he said, Fine, I'll take, we'll take the car. And he said, And I decided before I took it to the family to give it to them that I'd take it to the shop. And on the way to the shop, something happened with the motor. And I got it to the shop and said, Motor's gone. It's blown. It needs to be replaced. This was in the 80s. How much will it cost? $2,000. Okay, fix the engine. And he said, as I was driving home, I said, God, isn't it an interesting coincidence? They had the car yesterday. They're paying nothing. The engine worked. Tomorrow, they'll have the car. They'll pay nothing. The engine works. Today, I own the car. I get to pay $2,000 to fix the engine. And his response, he felt like the Lord said to him, the first family that gave it didn't have the money to fix it. The family receiving it didn't have the money to fix it. You, however, have the money to fix it. If you'd like me to stop giving you the money, you won't have to fix it. That's fine, Lord, we'll fix the engine. God is faithful to keep his promises. Quickly, what are the impacts and effects of a kept promise? Number one, promises encourage us during hard times. I just shared with you that story, and we were in paradise, and when that happened in one day, I knew however long that season was that we were going to be taken care of. I knew it. I just, I knew it. It, was, it, it eliminated the doubt. Those promises kept us going during a hard season. Paul wrote to Timothy, said, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. You know, Timothy was going through a tough season. Paul's having to say, remember the promises that were over you. 
It was real exciting in that Sunday evening service when they anointed you with oil and put a little mantle on you and you got your credential and got to put the preacher card in your wallet. But remember it today because those promises are just as true today as they were that day. Romans 15. Things were written in Scripture long ago to teach us, and the Scripture gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Because we have these promises, friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear the Lord. Number two, promises... Promises are the basis for our faith. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. How do you say promises the basis for our faith? I would rather have... a promise that I haven't seen than one that I have. Let me tell you why. My eyes see reality. My eyes see things as it is. My eyes see the bank balance and the bills. This isn't a tithing sermon, but I'm just down that track today. My eyes see a lot of things that say this is how the outcome is going to be. But faith sees the outcome from the promise point of view, that this is what God has said. And I choose to hang on to what I don't see and what I hope for and I believe for than to hang on to what I see, which offers me nothing. Continuing the verse, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe the Lord exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Write that reference in your notes. It's not there. Hebrews 6, 12. He says, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Then you won't become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises. Listen to this. Because of their faith and their endurance. They inherit the promise because of faith and endurance, not what they saw. So promises encourage us during hard times. They're a basis for faith. And number three, the greatest guarantee of God's promise is Jesus, the one we've celebrated in the last several weeks. Now you understand why I gave you those notes again from last week. If you want a guarantee that God keeps his promises, Jesus is that guarantee. Jesus is that guarantee. At the end of the service last week as we were playing a song and I was reading through who is uh, Jesus in the 66 books of the Bible, I said, if you need Jesus to be one of those things, I encourage you to stand. And at different times throughout that song, people stood throughout the congregation. And I knew, I knew you were grabbing, okay, I need Jesus to be a provider today. Or I need him to be a redeemer today. Or I need him to be a restorer today. I need him to be that in my life.
whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes, the yes of Jesus. That's what amen means, by the way. In him, this is what we preach and pray, the great amen. God's yes and our yes together. Gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge. That's a promise. A sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. The greatest guarantee of God's promise is Jesus. It starts with you accepting him as Savior and Lord. You may not understand all of that, what that meant the day you did it, or if you haven't done it, I hope you do it today in our prayer time. But that's where it begins. He is the yes to God's promises. You say, well, do God do this? The answer is yes in Jesus. Will he do this? Yes in Jesus. Can he heal? The answer is yes in Jesus. Will he restore? The answer is yes in Jesus. Will he provide? The answer is yes in Jesus. If you wonder all of the promises of God, where is the yes? The yes is in Jesus. That's why I gave you that outline from last week again. I'd like you to take that second outline out, the one that has the 66 names of Jesus in the different books of the Bible, and then all the other ones. Look at that as I share with you these closing words. God is for you. Many of you maybe grew up in a religious environment that you thought God was a group of rules, and the minute you did them all right, he'd make up a new one so he could smack you again. Because some of the things seem pretty hard, like, you know, forgive your enemies. After I run them over, it's easy. That's a hard thing to do. And so you finally get to the point you, you release somebody and you forgive them. And then it seems like, oh, and then they're, oh, now you get to do this. It's like it's killing me. And he's like, if I get all of these things, then he's going to say, oh, you must fly. I can't do that. That's how many of us had a perspective of who God was, that he was just looking for a way to crush us. Well, he's not. He's for us. Second thing I want to remind you of, he is with us. He is with us. In the tough seasons, he's with us. In the times when we're wondering, he's with us. The times that we're questioning things, he is with us. When we don't feel him, guess what? He is with us. When we're in the middle of something that makes no sense, I have news for you. He's with us. I also submit to you this morning that he'll guide us in whatever we're in. He'll guide us. And he is everything we need. You remember, you remember way back when, when Moses asked for a name. God, what's your name? He said, I got a name for you. I am. Oh, that's a good name. I am. Oh, I got a last name for you. That I am. I am that I am. Here's what that means for us. That God is everything we need him to be 
at the moment we need him to be it. That's why I gave you that list again, not because I couldn't prepare new material, because you know who you need God to be in your life. I don't. But he has said to you, I am that I am. Look at that list and say, you know what, this week I need God to be this. I need him to be this. Or this year, 2020, I need him to be this. I need him to be my health. I need him to be my strength. I need him to protect my mind. Some of us have challenged with depression. You need Jesus to to be your joy and the lifter of your head this year. You circle that one and say, that's a promise I'm hanging on to. That's a promise I'm going to hold. Look at that list and circle those things that you need God to be this year and hold on to it as a promise because he is faithful to his word. Go ahead and click one more time. In your life, who do you need Jesus to be in 2020? Every church in America is preaching vision. Get 2020 vision. I'm saying, look and see who you need Jesus to be this year. I'm done. And we recorded today. Good. Who do you need Jesus to be? Who do you need him to be in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your work? Can you look at those promises of who he says he is and hold to that promise? I want you to be this this year, Jesus. I'm hanging on to it because you're the yes of God's promises. You're the yes. You're the yes. You're the yes. I need you to be this. I don't know how else to encourage you any further than that. Hold on to who he is because he is the fulfillment of every great and precious promise that God has made over us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you (laughs) that you give us promises to encourage us, to give us hope, to give us a future to give us help, to give us restoration, healing, and wholeness. All of those things. Thank you for all of those promises. And now, Lord, help us this year by faith to grasp them, to hang on to them, to hold them, to cling to them dearly, believing that you will fulfill those things in our lives and in the lives of our family and in our work relations and in our finances and everywhere we need you to be something. Be that, Lord Jesus, in this year we pray. And Lord, I pause to pray for this church family, our church family. Continue your healing and restoring work in this place and in our lives. Do that, I pray, Jesus. Continue to pour your life and your spirit into us that we can communicate that truth to the world. Do that, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen.